This is the sound of turning ideas into software. This is the sound of engineering and passion. Work. Work more. Work harder. Experiment. Build. Break. And build again. Write code. Improve it. Job done. Celebrate. Insurance. Finance. Retail. Defense. Robotics. Energy. Amethyx. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. This is Francesco podcasting from the office of Amethyx Technologies based in Brussels City, Belgium. And we are currently from the Nook, which is the uh, shared space in the center of Brussels. Today, I am not alone. I am with uh, uh, Yori Lavi, uh, who's a field CTO at Scream, a very interesting company I'm going to cover in this episode today. Uh, Yori is one of the most talented slash expert that I have uh, in front of me uh, when it comes to data, data analytics, big data, and uh, all related uh, subjects. Um, Yori has, of course, more than 25 years of experience as a visionary and an operator in the high-tech industry. He founded several companies, among which uh, um, being chief architect at ETS division at CompuWare. He also founded and managed the Lavitech, uh, created uh, PL Edge, which is or was the first worldwide uh, PL SQL debugger and IDE. Uh, he also founded and led OTLTD, which is a project management company. Well, what can I say? Uh, last but not least, he holds a degree in mathematics and computer science from Tel Aviv University. Hello, Yori. How are you doing today? Good. I'm uh, really happy to be here, Francesco. <laughs> and I'm uh, very glad to have you on the show. And I'm pretty sure that the listeners of this episode will find this show extremely intense yet interesting because Scream is all about big data. And in, in practice, Scream, which is written S Q R E. AM, uh, but of course, the links of this uh, company will be reporting the show notes of this episode at datascienceatom.com. It's effectively a GPU based big data platform, which is pretty nice. So, Lavi, what is Scream? So, Scream is a platform that enables you to accelerate uh, data processing at extremely high throughput with uh, no limitation. So, who, when Effectively, it enables you to run SQL on petabytes of data in just or perform. Uh, you can you can ingest hundreds of terabytes a day. You can get the data updated in real time, and you can enable thousands of users running millions of queries on huge data set. Get this with almost low, no latency, almost zero data latency in near real time. So, data acceleration. On one hand, on the other hand, it kind of uh, targets the enablement of a large organization to actually use data. I think when, when we go through the podcast, we'll, everybody is, is aware, but assuming that a lot of the limitations right. are God-given. Yes. The reality is that it's, it's not, it's completely man-made, and, uh, and Screen is aiming to kind of uh, break this uh, zero-sum uh, game assumption of, okay, uh, there, there is a... You can either choose quality or size or speed or cost, but not well, all of them. Screaming to say you actually don't have to. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's indeed kind of the dilemma in data and data science in general. As you mentioned, as you mentioned, you can choose one or a few of those, but not all of them. Uh, and while what you are saying here is that there is kind of 
no real compromise in that respect. And of course, we want to know more about that. And we will definitely cover you know, the technical aspects of how does Scream uh, achieve this, if, of course, you can disclose. Whatever you can disclose, we are very happy to absorb uh, what is the secret source of Scream for sure. Uh, now, when it comes to data, you just mentioned there is, uh, of course, a lot to say there, but in particular about data volumes, you know, the fact that nowadays data become bigger and bigger. We have way bigger data than we had like three, four, five years ago. So the uh, pipelines for, for example, data preparation are kind of, you know, more intense uh, than they were, for example, a few years ago. So, uh, Yori, do you mind um, summarizing a bit what data preparation is uh, and also what's required when uh, data has, for example, extreme values, extreme velocity, and definitely crazy time constraint? You mentioned real time just uh, a minute ago. So, we're, by the way, we're talking about near real time, not subsecond response time, but something that's effective fast enough for uh, uh, for people to use, but um, let's split this. Let's split. you actually asked two two separate things. What is data prep? But hidden in there is what are the common practices or what are the common constraints of people actually doing that? Kind of uh, hidden. Uh, it's a hidden question within what you asked. So data prep starts with the fact that data raw data is useless uh, in the context of making a decision. When somebody, when when you need to make a decision, you need insight and it need to be actionable. And usually, this uh, intelligence is uh, is a few layers removed from the raw data. So when you get uh, uh, raw data, you need to kind of go through a few different transformations until it's ready to be consumed by an operational system, by a data, by a, by a human, by somebody. The data prep technically is take data from multiple sources, one or more, and do some transformation. Um, so examples of data transformation, let's suppose I'm getting information from a sensor, okay? Mm-hmm. The sensor is reading um, the temperature of water in a, in a manufacturing environment. It's going to be erroneous because if I get uh, if it's liquid and I get the result that uh, one reading was uh, minus twenty Celsius, obviously it's uh, it's not flowing. Or if I get uh, three hundred degrees, it's not. But the data is the data. I have no idea. I have no control of this. So you need to get the data and you need to kind of uh, okay. Let's get all the ridiculous values out. Let's prepare it in a way that somebody need to consume this. If the person that's going to consume this is interested in what other temperature exists, then I need to augment this data with more data in order to uh, to make a decision. So all of this, getting the data, um, do the uh, cleaning it up, do cleansing, augment it, correlate between. These are kind of basic stuff that anytime you deal with raw data, you're going to do. So these are data preps. The idea is you prepare the data in multiple steps, and each preparation gets you closer to make an intelligent decision based on that. Right. Does this make sense? It does. And uh, uh, when it comes to extreme volumes of data, like when this data becomes massive, uh, I would like to 
tackle with you the two biggest problems probably in data science and uh, especially machine learning uh, in production environment, which is indeed uh, the dimensionality of, of the data, of the problem, the volume of the data, and of course, the time constraint that you need to prepare, consume that piece of data, right? If you yes. consume it too late because maybe your uh, whatever function is cleaning stuff, it's cleaning perfectly, but it takes three times the time, well, probably that data is no longer important for me because I have a relatively, you know, quote-unquote crazy time constraint. You know, engineers yes. call this differently probably. So how what's required to deal with these extreme uh, constraints? Okay, so let's start with the fact that nobody is waiting for Scream and people are doing business and, and earning a lot of money. So <laughs> there, are, there are obviously a lot of techniques that work and people use them. But what we're saying is that in a lot of cases, the techniques begin to break when we reach where, where we are today. So there are kind of, and there are two separate things. Developing the model Today takes forever, and there is a bottleneck of developing developing a model. People have, it's a conundrum. People have the budget. People have the awareness they want to do this. They have the data, and they don't, they don't produce the data models, the machine learning models, fast enough. So there is an actual bottleneck organizational one to do that. So that's one place where data preparation is a bottleneck, and we'll talk about it in a second. And the second is in production, when I want to do inference. Inference is the concept that, I have the model, I have new data, I have new data uh, set, I have a data point, and I want to apply the model so it'll tell me, okay, what decision do I do? Or either how do I classify or what prediction? But basically, what do I do with that? So two separate problems, both have data prep and size. So the current techniques that exist today basically say, I'm going to spend some time either when I get the data or when I calculate it to make some, to make it faster. So you have techniques like partitioning, cubing, dy- uh, dynamic tables, indexes, LSM indexes. You have, and, and by the way, every caching, uh, distributed cache. It's a really long list. Probably going to fit. Uh, it's a really long list. Bloom filters. <laughs> Um, Bloomfield filters, yes, absolutely. Um, So the idea here is that if I get a lot of, so the question is where does it break and where do people begin to have compromises? If I have a lot of, if I have large data or complex data, I can actually do all these preparation and do the query in a sub-second, it'll work fast, okay. But there is some latency between time when I got the, the data and until I actually use that. If I don't care about this time, that's okay. Let's suppose I'm going to do, I'm going to get the data and I'm going to use it for a month. I do all the pre- preparation in 10 hours and the rest of the month, I'm good. I get the, I get the results very quickly. That's good. Yeah. What if I actually care about the time? Okay, then I need to do the preparation quicker. And here's the rub. What if the data changes? If the data changes, every time I get data, the old insight become stale. The quality deteriorates to the point that it's meaningless. You get weather information every four hours. So if, I, if it takes me five hours to produce the result, I'm working on all data. It's meaningless. 
So when you have the three things, we have large complex data. The data keep changing, which means I need to do all these calculations. And I care about the total time to insight. That's where the current models, and it fits very nicely into why people switch between uh, data lake and data house, data lake house and data mesh, because you'll see how all these ties. When you have all these three parameters, the current system break. Right. What screen does is basically said, hey, somebody solved this problem for compute. A decade ago, if you want to do, or 15 years ago, if you wanted to use huge amount of GPU to do some compute, you spend, and you have a few tens of millions spare, you tie multiple CPU machine and you have a supercompute. GPU today does this on one or two GPUs at a fraction of the cost, literally one-tenth, one, 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 uh, one millionth of the cost. Yeah. What we're saying is that this growth, if you, if you take the GPU and use this for data, we'll get the same thing. All the processing that I described today is done by CPU. If we can do the processing just much, much faster, then it's suddenly not become an issue. You want more data, okay. You need to do all the preparation, do them. You are you care about the time to insight. I have so much processing power because of the ability yeah. of the GPU that, that I'll will, be able to do. Yeah, that will make a no problem. You know, these latencies, in fact, are uh, kind of canceled because of more power, uh, more powerful uh, hardware, which is GPU-based uh, in particular. Yes. That's what you mentioned. Uh, indeed, yes. that's, uh, you kind of read my mind for my next question, which was like, aren't SQL databases uh, in terms of performance and cost-effectiveness, aren't they already providing something that Scream wants to provide? And you, you just answered my question before I even asked, which is, no, we use GPU. <laughs> so so uh, can you... Um, expand a bit on that because this is very curious um and i I'm kind of throwing my personal curiosity in this like uh, what do you mean by gpu in the sense that uh are you managing the same gpu processes as you manage for example i purchase a gpu and i run uh, my large language model locally or i run a bunch of machine learning uh, pytorch based algorithms that perform on my gpu very nicely vector compute all that stuff right is it the same type of compute that you apply okay at a very basic level from a gpu perspective the short answer is yes we use any nvidia gpu uh, and but we're not going to run pytorch to process data because pytorch is not geared toward data processing it's geared towards computation okay so basically you do vector vector by vector so everything and and uh and a gpu uh, a10 L, uh, l4ts uh, h100 h100 they start with um five nine thousand uh cuda cores to 40,000 CUDA cores. We take the SQL, we parse it, we do AST, we, we do the normal stuff, we do cost-based optimization. The execution tree we generate is geared toward taking data and um, putting as much data as fast as possible into the GPU. And the data is already in a matrix or a vector uh, format. 
So let's suppose that you need to do a sort. Let's suppose you need to do a filter. I put the data in and then I do the filter on 9,000 rows simultaneously. It's going to be much, much faster, 100 to 500 times faster than I do it in the CPU. Definitely. Obviously, it's not going to, at the end result, I need to prepare it. I need to do host to GPU, do the filtering, put it back. So eventually, I get something like uh, 30, 20 to 1, 30 to 1, GPU compared to CPU. So the short answer is the underlying, exactly the same CUDA uh, uh, libraries that uh, PyTorch uses when it does uh, the information or... Uh, or yeah. um, yeah, or a backward um, any of the other tools. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but um, we we have to work a lot, and Scream has over ten patents that is just about this to actually oh, wow. make data work on GPU and leverage the parallelism. I see. Because indeed, my question was, how much time do you spend transferring the data from central memory to GPU memory, for example, and back? You know, the result needs to be transferred back to to the main memory, right? So you're actually touching, you're touching actually about bottlenecks and the effective, yes, GPU works much fast, but what is what other bottlenecks exist to make it work? Exactly. Okay? So let me, uh, so you need, uh, you need kind of uh, uh, attitude change here. Why? Because we normally don't think about, hey, we have excess compute power because we usually don't. <laughs> So let's look at uh, uh, let's look at what, how do you use a GPU and how this works. So I want to save the data already in a format that I'm going to load into the GPU. Less transformation. Okay, that's not an issue. I'm going to compress it. I'm going to get usually about five to one compression. I'm going to read it compressed, so the network speed is five times faster. Okay. And normally, I put this in a CPU and need to do the decompression, which runs the late, it increases the latency, so overall lower throughput of data. Hey, I don't need to do this. I actually do the host to GPU on compressed data. So one fifth of the, so basically my host to GPU is five times faster than if somebody else does because I do it on compressed data. And I decompress in the GPU at 9,000 times faster than I do in a CPU. I have a lot of extra processing power. So the way I did this, I store one-fifth of the data. I run five times faster on the, on the network. I do host to GPU at five times faster. And then it didn't cost me anything because I have so much extra power on the GPU. Well, and, and this also works when I want to write, obviously. I compress on the GPU and don't, does, do all of that. The idea is that we need to, when we think about this, suddenly there is this cheap, basically free resource of compute. And I'm using this to accelerate any other aspect of the bottleneck. I see. This is very interesting. And so, um, of course, I don't want to know about the patent yet, but <laughs> I will definitely check that. Probably you're going to provide us with some references, whatever you can share, uh, so that we can add them to the show notes of this episode. I'm pretty sure that the listeners uh, would be definitely screaming for this, pun intended, of course. <laughs> um, uh, no, but Yori, I have uh, actually another question. Um, what type of business requires these petabyte scale uh, queries? Uh, that's probably the let's say, high level um, question that I have in terms of uh, use cases. 
let's start from there and then I have another one, but let's start okay. from the type of businesses. Okay, so let's uh, talk about two things. One, okay, when, do you, when don't you need screen? If you can fit everything in memory, you don't need screen. It'll work great. There are tens, if not hundreds of solution that work very nicely. The cache and everything will work. Okay, try to do 50 terabyte, terabyte on memory. It borders on uh, prohibitively expensive to impossible. You grow a little bit more, you're not able to do that. That's the point that you begin to kind of say, hey, I might need screen. Um, so I'm going to answer this by giving you a few different example of use cases of uh, users because it really touches on large complex data, data keep changing, right. and people care about the time to insight because that also defines who need this exactly. kind of thing. So um, a bank, uh, one of the largest bank uh, in, uh, in Africa, um, they have uh, close, of build, close of business calculation that uh, normally takes six, seven hours. They also are doing some kind of a BI uh, calculation that takes them 37 hours. That's obviously well, well, way too much for the next business day. They're using Oracle as the operational system, and they're doing all the compute on Oracle. So they have two options. One, suffer the consequences of not having the data ready for the next day. So operationally, that's extremely expensive. They don't want to do this. Mm. They can double or triple their infrastructure. That's an option, but they really would hate to do that. Or move to screen. They move to screen. The operational system stays the same. Just all the data is siphoned to scream at the end of the day, and now it takes them 30 minutes for the close of business, so seven hours to 30 minutes, and 37 hours to two hours. So the large BI there is, is ready very easily, and, and they have a lot of slack ready for the next day. So it's a critical system. They need to do the calculation. It's pure processing. This is not uh, ML. This is just pure bottleneck. You have a workload and you need faster throughput. That's an age-old uh, problem. Okay. You, that's one, one way to do that. Uh, and you have a lot of these. Anytime that you need to meet uh, a regulatory or a business time window, it's a report you are a data analyst, now a different example, a 14 million uh, customer uh, telco. They, whenever they see some increase in usage in the system, they have an analyst that they want to figure out, one, is there an actual problem? Second, can I market something for this cluster of people? It could be an event. It could be a Taylor Swift uh, concert. It Okay. <laughs> it takes them five hours to collect the, the, the billions of uh, CBRs. It takes them another two hours to prepare this, and then he's running Tableau. He's running Tableau on seven old, seven hours old data. They, the system of records stay the same. Now they, they ingest it into screen. It takes about 30 minutes to do both of these things, 20 minutes to collect the CDR, 10 minutes to prepare for Tableau. And now they're running the same Tableau on screen. They usually read something like uh, 70 to 200 billion records. 
So the Tableau runs directly on tables that contain up to wow. 200 billion records. Tableau is the same, only it runs faster. The data latency now is in near real time. They can actually get the insight while it still matters. Right. So this, these, are, these are environments where you have large operational system and you actually want to make some, in this case, a marketing or a, or a, under, or, or a technical decision based on that. Yes. Okay. A third one. That's now. So these are these were kind of operational examples. Um, ad recommendation engine companies. They generate uh, hundred terabyte of data. If they don't get the insight on okay, which ad I'm going to send to which real estate in which page. Then if I get the information two days later, it's meaningless because the data has, a, has an expiration stamp. It's, it's going to be stale within X amount of hours. If I didn't get enough fast enough, I'll do that. So all of these. But I also want to talk about uh, a completely different type of users that people assume today it's impossible. So that's kind of, uh, you need to kind of open your mind to say, hey, there is a different way to do stuff. Because everything I said today are things people know and they're trying to do. We just do it much better and much at a much larger scale. But what I want to talk about is something that people don't know it's feasible. Okay. So the situation is like this. You are tier one, and it's an actual example, obviously. So you are a tier one manufacturer, one of the largest in the world, and you have a new plant, a new manufacturing and you want to kind of uh, streamline the operation. You actually want to get, you already invested your billion dollar in your plant. Now you want to get twice from what you're pro producing. You want to increase productivity. The idea is if I get huge amount of sensor data with all the operational system, I'll be able to come to, and, and I add and I throw on top really smart data scientists They'll come up with models that basically tell me, okay, this piece of, the, of uh, silicon, I need to route it because otherwise it's going to be a waste. I need uh, to turn a key, turn a screw half, uh, half uh, uh, around uh, to the right uh, because otherwise something is not working. Let's skip for a second for the end. These guys using screen increase their yield from 50 to 90%. Almost double their core uh, uh, infrastructure, they get twice, almost twice of what they did before. So I expect that you're going to ask me, okay, what is, what is running fast has to do with increasing the yield? <laughs> the short answer is there are two organizational bottlenecks that prevent people from really taking advantage of their system. One is data scientists on large scale if a data scientist get everything on their laptop and they can do all the pro data prep on their, no problem. Yeah. But what if I have hundreds, tens of thousands of tables? Some of the tables are hundreds of terabytes. I'm not going to let a data scientist touch this. If I'm a data scientist, I identify the sources. Yes, let's assume I have permission. Then I ask my boss to talk with a data owner, allocate, who will allocate his data engineer to get the data, we will get work with my data engineer to get me the data. And then I create my data panel, I start running, and then I said, okay, I need this field differently. 
right. I need this, uh, uh, I need a different calculation, I need addition. Feature engineering. I'm going to do this process two, three hundred times in the course of developing a single model. Okay? So on average, data model take about three months on average to develop. 80% of this is, is data prep. Why? Because the data engineer need to do the changes and need, then depends on somebody else. Even they are responsive, they report to somebody else and they have 20 like me. So it's going to be slow. <laughs> Scream enabled these guys to for their data scientists to be self-enabled. They can do, and it's an example because I don't know the exact, but they could do 20 iterations a day instead of an iteration every two days. Why? Because you can just type the SQL and get the information. You can run Python on this and get the iteration. And if you need to do 20 of these, you just put them in a script or in an airflow or in whatever you use for orchestration to do that. And now I'm a data scientist and I need to do these iterations on huge data sets. I get this. And if the data set keep updating and these guys uh, in this example have all, over 20 petabytes of data and they update to the rate of uh, 200 terabytes a day. So the data scientists get the new data within minutes after the update. So basically... Right. In a case it's an adversarial model, that's critical. You need to do it all the time. For sure. So that's one thing, but I'm, uh, you're going to ask, but uh, there is one more aspect that I want to talk about. You want to say something, so please go ahead. No, I, I, I want to do one step back, probably. I don't want to cut your, your flow here, um, which is about, um, is that a transformation of the code that I am submitting to the system? Uh, in order to be executed by, of course, a GPU, so I believe CUDA cores. No, no. If you're if you if you're using, uh, let's suppose that uh, you are doing Python to do the SQL for the preparation. So you'll use a basic uh, uh, SQL Connect, and mm -hmm. you'll you'll run your normal Python. But your Python is going to run on uh, on twenty petabytes, tens of thousands of tables, and it's going to be done much faster. You don't need to get things in chunk, set up staging areas, prepare. Uh, how do, You don't need to do this. You literally don't care if it's a table with 10 values or 300 billion records. Same SQL, same Python driving them, but the backend is different. Right. So, so that, that's exactly my question. Like you keep, like, let's say, the, the, the API uh, intact. So the fact that the, the code that I submit, me I as a data scientist, for example, I submit to the system, it's going to be a normal SQL, it's going to be normal Python, it's going to be normal, all the languages that I'm, I was used to, to deal with, uh, they are still the same. In fact, my query is the same, but in the back end, yes. something is changing, which I suppose the query is transformed into a low-level uh, implementation, Scream implementation, I believe, uh, that actually yes. does the magic on, on GPU, right? You are absolutely correct. Um, the query is transferred in a way that I'll get, I'll retrieve the data from uh, Scream data or from somewhere else. I'll put it in a way that it's uh, best to be processed in, uh, in, the, in the GPU. I'll actually have a separation of um, uh, 
compute data, uh, data storage and metadata, which means that if I add more machine, I add zero degradation. Right. Which means that tell me what is the throughput you want to achieve and I'll get there. So mm -hmm. if each machine, if each worker uh, can process five terabytes an hour and I'm putting 20 workers together, I have 100 terabytes an hour. Think about an environment where, you, let's say, you have a MySQL or Oracle or SQL Server. When you add more machines, they need to update the same table. And if it has an index because you want to read faster, each machine that you read now have to wait in line for all the other machines because the insertion point into a table is a bottleneck. Right. The way screen, so you add 20 machine, 20 writers, you actually decrease the overall speed compared to one machine. One machine will likely do it faster than 20 because the one doesn't need to wait for anyone else. It just the You have five, they need to wait for each other. Scream does in a way that each machine work completely separately, but then post fact, I can, in the metadata, I can integrate it. There is the concept of share nothing and share everything. Scream has a unique version that gets the best of both of them. Each machine can access, can access all the data, and I don't need any machine to wait for any other machine. So I'm getting the best of the uh, availability and redundancy of share nothing, and I get the speed of share everything. Right. So that's, kind of, th that's one layer above the kind of the, the GPU. But the right. whole idea is that extreme parallelism, no bottlenecks from the disk all the way to the compute. You can see this in different ways yeah. here. Amazing. But, um, Yuri, um, if I'm a client with, let's say, on-premise data, uh, and most of the yes. time that's the case, especially when the volume of this data is uh, you know, relatively large, I prefer not to move my data out of my premises, sometimes even from confidentiality or industrial secrets, or you know, if you're in Europe, this is a pretty common problem <laughs> with the data privacy and regulations. Um, but how do I start using Scream? Like, uh, can you explain a bit the onboarding process? Sure, sure. Uh, first, Scream works on cloud and on-prem. So on-prem, you'll need to provision your machine. So you'll you'll basically tell us, okay, this is what this is the so there is going to be some sizing based on uh, what you want to do and the throughput you want will sorry based on the throughput that you kind of uh, describe will recommend some sizing. What what is the machine size and uh, what's the size of the GPU? You install a Red Hat, you get a package to install, you install. And that's it. Now you can now you can start running. Uh, if uh, the data is in Parker or something else, we can read this directly. If you want to ingest the data, then there are multiple ways to to do this. You can use any JDBC compliant uh, UI to drive data and compute. You can use any any application that uses JDBC like Python to connect uh, to the data. You allocate, you, you configure Scream on where to, where to save the data. And the data is uh, usually, we recommend, it's, a, it's kind of a shared, the NAS or, or a Weka or a Pure. It really depends on the size of uh, what you want to do. But it's not an, it's not an exotic type of uh, storage. It needs to be fast enough, need to be scalable. 
Now, we have an environment, for example, for a semiconductor uh, manufacturer, again, uh, one of the largest in the world, the US one. Uh, they were in year seven into a 10-year project, and they figured out that although they have 26 Oracle instances, there is no way they can do the throughput. This is on-prem. There is no way they can do the computing, that uh, the, the throughput of the workload in time. They switched to screen, one screen machine. So the data stayed the same, same uh, uh, instance, but now they have one screen machine that reads this data. Um, they had, um, it was installed on a Friday. On Sunday, we get an email that says, guys, one, it works. Second, we had uh, this uh, query that we were running two weeks. It's running for two weeks and it fails. It's been over a year, we would not been able to run. So first, we ran on screen, it finished. And second, it, it, uh, it finished only in 30 minutes. And third, we have 20 more like this that we, were, that we want to run and we were <laughs> not doing it. Okay, so get ready, we're gonna run this. So the on-prem, the short answer is, like any other, you get a package and you install on the machine, right. need to be configured in your data center, but it's a database, doesn't require a lot of processing beyond, okay, this is the allocation, this is where I need to do, this is the configuration, and you can start And there are, of course, that. requirements on the hardware, like how does it, uh, like the screen machine that you mentioned, is it something that you guys install, or is something that I can build myself? So I said, I said screen machine, but that's colloquial. It's not, we don't sell hardware. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the more accurate, and I should have used this, although it's too long, so... It's a normal machine that they, you run Scream on top. So okay. I'll refer to this as a Scream <laughs> machine. But uh, So basically, you need to be with enough CPU, enough memory, and, uh, and a fast enough uh, GPU. and need to be connected to the network. Right. Uh, by the way, no different than any other fast processing machine that you are going to connect to your data to your data center. Any any requirement uh, on the type of uh, hardware or GPU or uh, uh, it's pretty generic? Um, any, well, effectively this can be anything NVIDIA. So people, when they do some starting, they start with uh, low-end low -end GPUs. Mm. Um, the environment with, uh, for example, with uh, 20 petabytes, they, are, they have about half of the machines with A10 and half with uh, H100. And uh, they have about, they, they are running about 12 machine, scream on 12 machine. They calculated they would have needed 250 Cloudera nodes to run the same thing. Wow. So when you are thinking about the cost, you need to think TCO, or even if you are, even if you are thinking just the initial cost, it's not the initial cost of the machine. It's the initial cost of the installation. Of course. We very uh, seldom, uh, very sorry, very often uh, have a 1 to 10, 1 to 20 ratio between CPU machines and a screen machine. So if you think that it's going to be expensive, think how much it's going to cost 20 machines like yeah. this, even without the CPU. Exactly. And if you are thinking cloud, you can get a fairly good machine at uh, one to two dollar an hour in the cloud. That's not expensive. Mm -hmm. If you're going to run a normal a normal machine with huge amount of memory, it's going to be more, even more expensive than 
than a normal machine that you can run Scream on. Right. So the cost per the cost per for for doing the same work through throughput, we're usually one fifth of the cost and one tenth of the footprint. How many machines you need? Right. Very clear. So. Yuri, I have a question that brings us kind of towards the future uh, due to the fact that, uh, you know, this is kind of the nature of technology. We all know it. Um, and the nature of technology is, of course, very dynamic. So how does Scream uh, stay ahead of the curve in terms of adapting to, for example, new data sources, new technologies, even new data formats and data analysis? Okay, well, there are two answers to this, obviously. One, we keep innovating. The second is, I'm less concerned with this because what we open is we, are, we unleash a lot of pent-up energy inside organizations. We did uh, an internal survey, kind of a build-up, uh, bottom-up bottom survey. We identify over 2,000 mid-size and large companies, so definitely not the top, not Global 2000, mm-hmm. about half are, that have between five to 10 uh, potential project of uh, five petabytes and above. And the reason they're not doing it today is because, one, the perception of uh, it's too expensive, it's impossible. Second, their data scientists are not self-enabled. And third, they have a limitation of scaling their data science. What do I mean by that? If you have 50 data scientists and um, they are each now depending on a data engineer to work, they're going to work slow. Okay, that's one aspect. But in a normal environment, in a data lake, what people tell you is if the data lake is large, what is the, what is the common practice? segmented this project will work on a very small segment this is gonna okay let's suppose uh, i took data raw data i did data prep a sensor okay and i did five etls and uh extract load uh, transfer transform and i got to the version the data product that's the clean version of this sensor if i segmented my data lake into 50 data data project and I'm starting a new one, I can't use any of the other ones. I need to build my own. Scream says, hey, everything, all raw data and data data products are on the same uh, data set or uh, uh, in the same database. Permission, obviously, not uh, uh, your client. But when I start now, 50, 60% of what, I, what I'm going to do is something that 50 data scientists next to me on a similar project already did. Now, because everything is shared, I can use them. When I st- So basically, you add more data scientists with screen, you get synergy. The overall throughput of your data science team is now larger, as opposed to the scenario today that, one, they are slow, because that depends on data engineer. And each one of them works separately. So they kind of, uh, they increase the load on the data engineer. They actually slow, not directly, but indirectly, they slow each other. So just and making people understand that if you actually do what Data Lake was supposed to do, all raw data and data products 
available to thousands of constituents in near real time, it can work. And not just that it works, the more that you add data scientists, not, you grow in, in uh, your ability to produce more models, not linearly, but with a synergy. So it's even higher than a linear yeah. growth. So just doing that, going to transform, I think, the industry because people are, if you don't know something is a problem, you say, that's the cost of doing business. I'm okay with this. <laughs> the second you know it's a problem, it begins to gnaw at you. You begin to say, hey, I, I, should, I should be solving this. Yes. So the first thing I think we're going to innovate here is by making people aware that this is feasible. You can actually have 400 data scientists working on a single large project, and they're going to be extremely more effective than the 50 that you have today. Not by a factor of eight, by a factor of 50 or by, by a much larger factor, because yeah. there is this synergy. I, I love the... So that's, one, the, that's really one innovation. Yeah, absolutely. The other is they, uh, uh, GPU keep uh, upgrading very nicely. People use, uh, people use us... We're, we're structured data mostly, but people use us also as a metadata for non-structured data. So you take, uh, you take a picture of a machine, you run your Python, you generate tons of metadata and you put this in screen. Now you need you want to query uh, two billion photos. You actually you actually want to query the metadata. So you take the data, use the Python, use the inference to get the information, and you put this in screen. Tightening this information, our ability to work with seamlessly with more and more environments, that's the next stage. But I think the biggest impact is making people aware of what they can achieve if they can actually process data faster. Does this make sense? Absolutely. And I love the fact that as soon as you get aware of a problem, you start handling or taking care of it. That's kind of the engineering mentality, which I love yes. personally. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, staying on the same topic, uh, speaking about the future, uh, what innovations should we expect from Scream in the near or not so near future as you wish? So I think that uh, one thing is uh, we have uh, customers that are talking about um, 700 petabytes projects. So I, uh, I think just, uh, just hearing that alone is, uh, is amazing. And um, so that's, one, uh, that's uh, one thing. The other is um, we are adding uh, the ability to run models concurrent inside the data. So we process the data. The data at some point when you process this is available inside the GPU. We are adding the ability to run your model compiled inside the GPU, access the same data. Mm. So think about the ability of Scream to stream tens of terabytes of data extremely fast and now think about a model that can access this data at a gpu speed 400 gigabytes a second a thousand gigabytes a second so the ability of uh, think about this most of the models fail today because of data model bias or because the training wasn't okay i i did pca i reduced dimensionality did i actually keep the topology of the data 
does the smaller data set behaves exactly like the large data set? And when I'm doing this, I actually don't know how to qualify the behavior because I actually don't know the, the features. So what we are saying is you would not need to do that. You would run this not on a small data set. You would run the training on the full data set streaming at terabytes an hour. You don't need to do dimensionality reduction. You don't need to worry about a model bias because you run on the same uh, size. The biggest, even after people develop the model, only a fraction of them actually uh, reach uh, production because they need to be better than the incumbent. What if you can, when you're developing, you can run your in, in uh, working process models compared to the production ones on large data set every night on terabytes or petabytes. You would know very quickly which model you want to focus on. Today, you need to kind of make it mature right. and then pit it against the, okay, what if you identify much faster which model you should be even working on? The ones that don't have a chance, okay, Just survival of the fittest. <laughs> Somebody That's else. Great. So kind of revolutionizing by, it's just, we don't change the skill set of the people. The people will have the exact same skill set, but the idea is that their effectiveness and the development would be much, much better. All, yeah. the, all the training you can do today with Sage and everything else, say the same. We don't tell you you need to switch your environment. But we're saying when you're running stuff, you run this on larger data set, it'll be much faster. The data scientists can do this. You don't need a data engineer for this. Let the data engineer work with the things that cannot be solved like this. The really complex one versus doing 90% of, of the time mundane stuff. Right. That's, in my opinion, solve organizational bottleneck. Data scientist, you won't have to wait for a new data model because you have enough effective data scientist team. And, and we're talking about both machine learning, Gen AI, and just pure data processing, which is also needed. Right. So, I wonder how this would uh, in, impact or benefit, for example, bioengineering, bioinformatics, uh, you know, all these uh, uh, fields in which there is uh, definitely petabyte scale uh, and okay, also... So a bunch, you know, a lot of models going on there? It's a great question. So let's, uh, let's think about uh, what, are the current, what are the current issues of uh, bioinformatica and bioengineering? Um, one, the models, obviously, um, logic, uh, uh, statistical model don't work there because most of the biological data don't conform to any, to any known histogram. <laughs> Uh, second, a huge amount of data. Third, there is <coughs> the error rate is very high because it's sensor data and it's uh, prone to errors. So large data, a lot of errors. Um, uh, multiple, we actually get data for multiple models because it's biological. This almost by definition fits the scenario that I said: large, large data, complex. Um, and time to insight matters. One aspect there is whether the data changes or not. So 
if this is kind of a research where it's not an adversarial model, then it's less of an issue today. We can help, but it's less of an issue because if you do kind of a research on, I don't know, uh, cancer screening, you just need the large data. Okay, we can definitely help there. But if you, uh, and we'll shorten the data prep by, we have customers that claim a reduction of data prep by over 90%. So increase the speed of the data scientists by a factor of five. So that will still apply. The, in the development model, they'll be able to uh, come up with new model five times faster, the data scientists, the ML guys. So this is across the board, the guys that you mentioned, because they have these problems. But sometimes these guys come up with a model where they actually interfere with the system. When they change something in biological, that means the new data that comes in is now different because it's based on something I changed. That's an adversarial model. Not only I need to recalculate the model uh, very fast, I may need to calculate it five times a day. Every time I do stuff, the data changes, now my base is different. So the previous problem exaggerated to a factor of five or 10. Now you need five times, times, five times more processing power. So for these guys, which have no real solution today, that's even a bigger thing. The effectiveness of bio model to be kind of interactive, we can make, we, we can make it uh, uh, feasible or non-feasible switch it from non-feasible to, hey, now I have 20 more like this I can try. Wow. So I definitely see uh, how we can be synergetic to, one, make them work much faster, and second, tackle problems they are not able to tackle today. Yeah. Does this make sense? Absolutely. And uh, it's super fascinating what you're saying, Yori. It's, uh, it's really cool. Uh, shall we expand a few words, just a few words about your team? Uh, I believe they are... Not all data scientists, but there are some hardcore engineers there, or what? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, um, so most of the technology is uh, is data is database, uh, SQL, C plus plus, compiler uh, geniuses. Okay, I, <laughs> I, I work with them. I'm allowed to say they're really good. <laughs> um, they solved a problem that nobody else did. How do you use GPU? that it was geared just to vector processing of uh, pure compute to do this on data. To this day, nobody, nobody is still doing this effectively like, uh, like Screen. And not only they did that, they built the scalable system. The ability to have multiple machines, tens of machines or hundreds of machines working, each one of them at an extremely fast pace. So a lot of C++, a lot of Java, a lot of uh, Scala, a lot of Python, some UI, extremely knowledgeable ab about how to scale large systems. Yeah. And I would have to say that all of this was meaningless if you didn't have the right uh, kind of uh, vision of the founders of what pro... I believe engineer can solve anything. So it's, we should better find something worth solving. So the founders had a really great vision of what to solve. And that's, okay, people will need data. They'll need it fast. They'll need it cheap. And, uh, and it's each year you need twice as last year. 
Yes. So it's uh, so normal progression is not going to be good enough. They had this vision and everything is geared toward that. So um, uh, Razi, which is uh, uh, Razi Shoshani, is the CTO, and uh, Amigal, who is the CEO, are the founders. Uh, I think there was one more founder which uh, I didn't uh, I didn't have the privilege of working with, but uh, the founders are still with the company and still guide it. And you know you've you've done startups before. It's very rare that the vision stay the same over ten years. Yeah, absolutely. It is in this case. Absolutely, it's unique. In fact, it's very very rare yeah. indeed. And uh, also, as you mentioned before, utilizing data wave, which is not just a technical uh, you know vision, but it's also a, a business vision. Uh, data yeah. is not going to reduce in size, in volumes, and in velocity anytime soon. Actually, quite the opposite. Uh, this was uh, Yori Lavi, uh, field CTO yes. at Scream. And uh, Yori, we are pretty much at the end of our episode. Thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you. This was Data Science at Home podcast. You will find uh, all the links that you need at datascienceathome.com. We also have a Discord server, which is free to join. So you can have conversations with uh, myself and the community of the podcast. I'll see you there.